0: Tonight, I want to I share a teaching from David Hartman, and this is, it's not a new teaching. He taught this, I think it was in 1991, um, during the first Intifada. And the reason I, I want to teach this is because I think it relates directly where we are today and a lot of what's happening in the news, because you, the main story when it comes to Israel right now is about Iran. The kind of backstory is what's going on with John Kerry is that going to work? Is it going to not? Well, you know, there's talks of settlement. Sipi Livni came out, I think it was this week, saying, what a big deal, all the investment is taking place, and Israel needs to take it more seriously. And so David Hartman, when he wrote this essay now, it's hard to believe, but that's almost like 24 years ago when he wrote this, that he said, when it, in Jewish time, that we, we, we live as this big communal body, and we're very good at kind of sticking our entire body in the sand and just leaving our head up there and being very ethereal and sometimes not dealing with the real world. But he said this is one of those issues with the Palestinians that has gotten so big that it's not something we can ignore anymore. It's it's a direct part of who we are. And so he so I'm going to lay out the the argument that he shares and I think it's quite brilliant is that he says that if you look at the current narrative of the way people often share the story is they if you can imagine that I have, we'll call this my chair right here, is that I have my, my chair right here. I was sitting here. I, you know, I got a great seat at like 6 o'clock. I wanted to be on time for the 7 p.m. service because I knew it was going to be standing room only. I'm sitting there and I get up because, you know, at, like, at 7.05, I had to go to the bathroom. So I go, and I come back, and Marcia is sitting in my chair. And I go, Marsha, what are you doing? That's my chair. I've been sitting there for an hour. She goes, are you kidding me? I just got here. That chair was empty. And, I, and the two of us were fighting over this chair. Now, we have two options at this point. Either I can say, that chair is mine. It always has been mine, and I refuse to cede anything. Or Marcia can say, are you kidding me? I got here. There's no one in that chair. That's always been my chair. And in many respects, that has been where the narrative has been between the Israelis and the Palestinians, is that each narrative is true. But if each side doesn't give the other side a space to say, yeah, your narrative is true, and so is my narrative, you're left with no space. And so what he proposes is that when we go into these type of discussions and this type of thoughts, it's creating a new space of saying it's not just one narrative, but that it's two narratives. And that when you come to conflicts like this, because that is where the conflict is, you have two sides saying, this is mine, and that in the Talmud, we're presented with two different types of conflicts that exist. The first one is good versus evil, which is fairly simple. You know what's the good outcome, you're trying to get rid of evil, and even when it comes to my own personal self, that when I'm thinking of evil... Trying to overcome evil is, how much will do I have? If I have enough will, I can overcome any temptation, and I can overcome that. But there's a much more complex conflict that also exists in the Talmud, which is a conflict between good versus good. So a good versus good conflict is, an example would be, and I should tell you that one's teacher slash rabbi in the Talmud is considered almost like a parent That if a person is speaking of like, this is my father and this is my rabbi right here, they're thought to be almost equal. So a good versus good conflict is that, you know something, my rabbi, she needs some money, she needs some help. My father also needs money and some help. And so what do I do there? I'm presented with both of these issues and I somehow have to solve it. No matter what I do, it's going to be good, but I'm not sure exactly how to do it. And what he argues is that when it comes to this conflict, is that we are not dealing with the good versus evil. If you stick in a good versus evil dichotomy there's no space to go anywhere when you look at Jerusalem there's only one people that can ever control Jerusalem and you can take that sentence and put it in either side's mouth but by saying there's this new space of saying both sides need to somehow figure this out he says the conflict is that what is going on here is a conflict between justice and survival And the question we have to ask ourselves is, how much can I risk survival for the sake of justice? And how much am I allowed to give up for the sake of love? Is that this is the fundamental conflict that we're trying to deal with here and trying to figure out and making that balance. Because oftentimes our natural inclination is to go to such an extreme on one end that we forget justice. And if you look at the Torah, Deuteronomy is incredibly clear when it gets to this. Um, Micah Goodman, Micha Goodman of Hartman, he argues that the entire book of Deuteronomy is written as a warning to the Jews. It's his fear is that when you go into that land, I'm not afraid of you becoming slaves again. That's not my worry. My worry is that you're going to go into that land and you're going to become powerful. And my worry is that you're not going to go back to Egypt, but that you're going to become Egyptians. And somehow create a system when you have a place of power that you don't become those Egyptians. There's a story of a rabbi with a king, and a king asks the rabbi, who is your God? What, what, What is the God that you pray to, you Jews? And the rabbi replies, I believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That sounds like a standard line. We all know God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we said it tonight in services. And the king asked him, Well, why do you say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob of your of your ancestors that came before you, why aren't you saying the God of heaven and of earth? And if you look at the argument of why we would say we believe in the God of history versus the God of nature, is because nature is static and it's something that cannot change. When you said that I am, I believe in or I'm a part of the God of history, we talk about creation but that is a long time ago and it's kind of the starting point point. and everything that comes from there is completely improbable when we were talking about micha mocha of standing at that sea and the splitting of the sea it seems impossible if you were told that there's this boy that is born and he's going to be thrown into the nile and that same boy thrown into the nile is going to free all of egypt it seems impossible And that's what we do throughout the entire Torah is take situations that seem impossible and then show you, you can't accept the world as it is, but you have to dream up how the world ought to be. And so he makes this argument for us is when we're thinking of the conflicts that we're in, it's in our own lives, but very specifically what he's talking about is in our current situation in the Middle East. And he's clear that this is not about going so far as saying, look, I'm willing to give up everything and commit suicide. It's saying, the only way I actually can have a negotiation and have a conversation is if I myself can become open enough to say, I hear your narrative and I need you to meet me as well so you can hear my narrative. Because in our current setting, when we just sit there with these two strong narratives and neither one can hear it, we're getting nowhere. Now I know many people will be thinking, well, this is impossible. You know, the argument Netanyahu's making now, which is because... And I was, I was in a, a small gathering with, with Dick Durbin this week, and he was very sad about where things have gotten with these negotiations because the Palestinians won't say that it is, it is a Jewish state. And so that's kind of the fundamental thing saying, do you see our narrative? And it does seem very difficult. But it's our job, if you look at our history, is that we're never supposed to give up. We're meant to be these dreamers. But dreamers are people who stand up and they fall and they fall and they fall and we make tremendous amount of mistakes on the way. But the idea is that we're falling because we actually know where we're trying to get to. And we need to always try to find that third way instead of being stuck in these two ways. Can you hear that sound?